Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andrew. Guys, I'm here with my friend, Dr. Lance Rosa, who is a veterinarian and a lawyer. And he's been on the episode, uh, or been on the podcast many times before. I always love talking about legal stuff with him. I love talking about what's in contracts that veterinarians are signing and that practices are using. And we are getting into non-compete agreements today. I've got a lot of questions. I feel like there are big seismic changes in non-compete language across the country uh, and across different industries. And uh, there is some uh, some FTC proposed rule changes that are uh, that are shaping up. And I wanted to hear from Lance kind of what those might look like and what he's seeing in veterinary contracts. And that's what we get into. So guys, if you got any interest at all in restrictive covenants, non-competes, non-solicitation agreements, uh, you know, uh, non-service agreements, which are a thing we talk about, uh, then this is a great episode for you. I hope you'll enjoy it. I certainly did. Great. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I am here with my good friend, Dr. Lance Rosa. Lance, thanks for being here. Great to be here with you, Dr. Andy Rourke. How are you today? Man, I'm I'm good. It's uh, summertime is uh, is here in South Carolina. It's uh, beautiful, but it's hot. But uh, but yeah, that's what for me. How about you? Same here. You know, it's uh, it's exciting to be in spring. The kids are almost out of school. Uh, the the teaching semesters the the the, uh, the veterinary schools are winding down so it's always a good summer so you you do a lot of things for people who don't know you do a lot of things like I do a lot of things and I'm like that guy does a lot of things you are you are a co-founder at drip.vet uh, most people know drip.vet uh, for the opioid education and so I just recently took your uh, two-hour opioid course. Course, It's the second time I took it. I took it two years before that because I need it for my license every two years. And you would overhaul the whole thing. Nice work, by the way. Um, I was like, I got to watch this thing again. Nope. It's all updated, refreshed, super good stuff. It felt very different. Uh, so props to you on that. But um, you also, uh, you are hanging out on the VIN boards. Uh, Drip.vet is part of the VIN family. And then uh, you lecture like all over the place at vet schools. Like, are you at 20 vet schools now? Something like Close that? Close to 20. Uh, nobody's really counting, but I think we're at 18 or 20 vet schools. So I get to see a good percentage of the veterinary students as they enter their third year in veterinary school. So we talk about exciting stuff like, you know, the legal use of drugs and um, how to negotiate their contract and, uh, you know, some, some, some stuff that I know that they're just dying to hear about, you know, like non-competes, <laughs> which we're talking about today. So um, that's, that's my job in the veterinary schools at this point. People do get, all joking aside, people do get fired up about non-competes. You know what I mean? I, I am hearing a lot about it. It's because of stuff going on with the FTC, um, but also a lot of vets are looking at their contracts. I think non-competes have become part of the battleground in recruiting. There are some big companies out there that have lots and lots of hospitals and they're saying, we don't do non-competes uh, and trying to use that as, a, as, a, as an advantage point in recruiting vets, things like that. Um, let's, I want to unpack this because this is an area where things are changing and people have a lot of interest. And so can you start to lay out for me, traditionally, what have non-competes kind of look like in veterinarian contracts? 
Sure. So, I mean, I think to actually take a step back, let's look at what, you know, non-competes, you know, kind of look like a, in society at large. And so sure. um, in the American judicial system, so non-competes are centuries old. Um, they're the, the case law on non-competes go back for literally hundreds of years. I mean, even over as we borrowed a lot of our laws from England, um, as we were breaking away as colonies. And so the, the, the battleground and the fight over non-competes in a business setting has been something that's going on, been going on for centuries. And so this is not a new debate. This is not a, a recent debate. This is, this is the continuation of a, of a long debate. Um, having said all of that, in veterinary medicine, traditionally, non-competes have been used sparingly through the 60s and 70s and 80s. But really, when practices started going corporate, that's when we really saw an explosion in the use of, of non-compete agreements. And so now at this point, nearly 99.9% of the practice of the contracts that I see contain a non-compete, especially from a state that will enforce a non-compete. And that brings up a really good, a really big point is, is traditionally on the law side, non-competes are very, very state dependent, even to the point where they're county or judge dependent. And we've got some states that will fully enforce non-competes. And we've got some states, California is the biggest example, that will not enforce non-competes. And so you asked about, you know, where's the legal standing? It's really a state-by-state -state analysis to really understand mm -hmm. what's going on with non-competes. And, and, and traditionally, that's how it's been forever. I, I was reading recently that other professions have had non-competes kind of struck down. So attorneys and, uh, and, and doctors, physicians, I saw. And it, to me, it seemed very much like a national thing. And the idea was having a non-compete might force people to break their relationship with their doctor if their doctor had to leave. Same thing with the attorney. Uh, with the attorney, attorney is you have a relationship with this attorney, and then if they have a non-compete, they might be forced to leave, which would which would not allow you to maintain that relationship. And so the damage to that relationship was something that made uh, sort of regulators say, in this industry, these non-competes are not going to be acceptable. Am I getting that right? Is that is that is that across industries? Is that still state by state as well? Uh, can you sort of speak to 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 what that looks like? Yeah, it's actually you're you're actually really close with that. Um, it, it's not oh, necessarily. Good. I like to be at least at least in the neighborhood. That's good. <laughs> you're you are definitely in the neighborhood. So um, on the legal side, it's actually the legal ethics or the what they call the professional responsibility um, will not allow attorneys to put other attorneys under a non-compete. And so it's it's highly ironic that attorneys are asked to write non-competes for other professions, but they will not write a non-compete for their own profession. And, and the mm -hmm. basis for that is exactly what you described is it's it's not a a competition issue. It's not a um, it's not a, uh, a a free market issue. It is the fact that the consumer of legal services in this case would be their relationship would be highly damaged. And so if a lawyer leaves a law firm, then they're welcome to take all the people that they served previously. Mm -hmm. On the physician side, what you're referring to is some guidance that's coming out from the AMA, the American Medical Association, that says roughly the same thing, that physicians should not put other physicians under a non-compete for patient safety, for patient continuity, um, for the fact that that patients need to see a doctor continuously, not just the person that's that's working at the hospital that day. Yeah, that that makes sense. Now, having said all of that, um, physicians are are and physicians and 
nurses and other healthcare providers um, are probably some of the people that are most affected by non-competes. So just because the AMA said it does not mean that non-competes are somehow banned or not allowed in the human medical world. Well, it's interesting that you said, you know, doctors will not put other doctors under this. I'm, and I'm looking at the human medical world and I go, boy, there's a lot of big corporations that are, you know, that own hospitals or medical groups or things like that. Do they fall into that same category or is it is it something where you say, well, no, this is these are not physicians putting other physicians. This is a this is a different entity that's getting physicians to sign a non-compete. Is that different? It's a, it's back to the corporatization world. And so it's the fact that those, you know, those hospitals that are truly employing those physicians are really corporations, honestly. So um, it looks a lot like, you know, if the AVMA decided to uh, put out, put forth ethical guidance that said that veterinarians will not put veterinarians under non-competes. Well, a lot of hospitals are not owned by veterinarians. Uh, and so it's the AVMA has no control over, you know, the, the corporate interest in our in our profession. Interesting. Okay. All right. Let's let's start to talk about sort of trends in in the vet profession with non-competes. Um have so I think back, you know, when I graduated about 15 years ago, non-competes were pretty standard and and we were sort of instructed to uh to pay attention to them, to pay attention to how much distance there was, uh you know, how much time they would go for after you left your job, you know, um Thing, things like that. Have you seen a change or a trend uh, in shrinking sizes, things like that? Or is it, no, basically the same durations and, and, and distances that used to be, but they're either in or out. So so can you sort of talk about, about sort of general trends in, in that regard? Yeah. So there is a general trend on the legal side. You know, so lawyers that write non-competes to write them in, in the exact words are narrowly tailored. So to make them exactly what the protection of the business or practice in the situation needs. And so if you see a non-compete that is written by a lawyer that's kind of studied on non-competes, um, they will try to write them in a very tailored way. And the reason for that is, is because they actually become more enforceable the smaller they are. Now you asked about time frame. The time frames still are almost always maxed out as what the law will allow. So some states, Florida, for example, is 18 months. Other states will presume that two years is is reasonable. And so almost every practice and every lawyer that's putting forth a non-compete is going to max out what the law will allow. The radius is very, very, um, uh, very, very, uh, uh, you know, very dependent on the practice locality, um, the practice type, et cetera. The other thing that, that we uh, really spend a lot of time teaching on, Andy, is what's called the scope of practice. And so there's three things to really look for. You've already mentioned the time frame and the radius. But the third thing that is highly negotiable is the scope of practice. And so when you and I both graduated, there were a lot of mixed animal practices. And there, were all, there was mm-hmm. an expectation that we would kind of do everything. But now practices are much more specialized. And so there's day practices, there are ER practices, there's exotic practices, there's, you know, um, small ruminant practices, there's obviously equine practices. And so these non-competes that exempt all of practice, that's a problem. And so what you see is, is practices start to say, we're only going to exempt daytime non-emergency practice, or we're only going, since we're an ER practice, we're only going to exempt competition in an in overnight ER practice. And so the tighter that you can get that scope of practice allows that veterinarian to go on and do something else. 
Um, but to answer your question, yes, these are constantly evolving. Um, the other big thing that I see that's the difference when we graduated 15 years ago um, is this use of the word of the of liquidated damages. And I think we've talked about this on a previous Kona Shame podcast, but highly aggressive attorneys will write liquidated damages, which means that the damages are stipulated before you actually even breach the non-compete. And that's a that's a massive shift from what what was in place, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Non-competes are becoming more aggressive, but, um, you know, uh, but in certain situations, um, they're actually becoming more and more narrowly tailored. If you uh, dream of doing team training with your team, getting your people together, getting them on the same page, talking about uh, how you guys work together in your practice, I'd love to help you. You can check out drandywork.com and check out the store. I have two different team training courses. These are courses for teams to do together to get on the same page and to talk about how you do things. Uh, do things. I have my uh, angry clients course and I have my exam room toolkit course and uh, they are both available and there to come out. All right, guys, let's get back into this episode. Well, Talk to me a little bit more about this about this calculating damages, right? So, so starting to, the stipulation that you're calculating damages before the breach of the non compete occurred. What, what does that mean, Lance? Like, like help me get my head around that. Yeah. So usually there's a there's a provision that's attached to the non compete provision, which says something like, you know, if you breach the non compete, the associate, the employee, or now former employee, will pay the practice. And usually it's a large sum of money, Andy. Just a flat fee? Just a flat fee, $100,000, $150,000 to breach the non-compete. The other, and, and usually when, when a veterinarian sees that, they're like, now, wait a minute, I have to pay the practice money? That doesn't, see, I'm, I'm, I'm getting paid by the practice. I've got to pay the practice money back. So, you know, where's this $150,000 coming from? They'll kind of throw a red flag and say, ah, this doesn't feel right. $150,000 doesn't, doesn't seem right. What smart lawyers have learned to do is is write a per diem amount in lieu of a breach. And so let's say um, they'll say something like, if you breach the non-compete, we'll stipulate damages of $1,000 a day. Well, if you breach the non-compete for 150 days, you're at the same exact point. You've got to pay the practice $150,000. But to the veterinarian that's skimming that contract and not really understanding the legal terms, like, oh, $1,000, whatever. Okay, that doesn't really draw the red flag like a $150,000 line item in that contract. Sure. So it's a way to sneak yeah. sneak these liquid damages provisions past associate veterinarians and get that signature. All right. So, so that makes sense. You, I, I was actually surprised when you said early on that 90% of the contracts that you see still have non-competes in them. I would say 90, 99 Really? I oh, felt like there cool. was a trade. I felt like we were moving away from that. I was hearing more and more people saying, oh, yeah, we're not doing those anymore. But but you're not you're not seeing that on the ground. Is that correct? No, there's a there's a couple of large practices that have moved away from non-competes. But overall, the vast majority of practices still use non-competes. Um, there's a couple of commentators, um, you know, that have written and talked about non, you know, uh, 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 abolishing non-competes or not, you know, getting the profession away from non-competes. But I have to be honest, that's just talk. I mean, in the yeah. real world, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it change at all. No, that, that totally makes sense. Talk to, talk to me about what's going on at the national level. So, so there was a uh, sort of uh, FTC proposed rule, uh, proposed rulemakings uh, that were sort of um, 
in the headlines recently, and people were talking about uh, some of the Biden administration's uh, thoughts on on non-competes and stuff. T- t- talk to me about sort of what's going on there. It was a pretty boring read overall, but what it does is it attempted to make the case that the FTC does have the ability to regulate non-competes across the entire country. And basically it said that the FTC is thinking about banning non-competes on a federal level. Now, the thing that I really want to to point out here is, is it is this is an extremely slow process when we're going through what's called the Administrative Procedures Act. Um, what the FTC did is they opened a notice and comment period and they allowed the American people and business interests to come in and weigh in. The FTC will gather all those comments, read them all, and then ultimately deliberate internally on whether or not they want to proceed with you know, some sort of actual rulemaking. And so generally speaking, this stuff takes years, if not decades, um, to, to fully come to fruition. And, and really what, what I saw when, when, when Biden, the Biden administration first, you know, issued, hey, FTC, do something about this. And then in January of 23, when the FTC actually released this notice and or this proposed rulemaking, I got a lot of comments just right off the bat, like, and, and actually a lot of anecdotal comments like, hey, these, F, these non-competes, they're going to go away and I don't have to worry about this anymore. And I'm like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. <laughs> you know, this is really, really a time to hold your horses. Do not sign a non-compete with the expectation that the FTC is going to do something to nullify it. Right. You've got to still negotiate it. You've still got to understand how, what it's going to affect, how it's going to affect your personal life if they don't do something about it. So um, it, it's good that, that F, the FTC is giving this a look. It's good that it's getting some light shined on it, but it doesn't mean that we can ignore non-competes, you know, anytime for the foreseeable future. Yeah. What do you, uh, what do you think the future is going to be like in non-competes? When I, when I go sign up that contract five years from now, do you think it's going to look different as far as non-competes go? Uh, if you had to, if you had to bet, what do you, what would your bet be? So we're seeing a push across it, it, across many states to actually change non-competes. And so I think that, that the state level has a much more, um, has much more potential to actually change the enforceability of non-competes overall. Um, ultimately too, Andy, it does, it depends a lot on the market for veterinary services. And so you mentioned earlier, you know, you're seeing some people start to talk about it and a few companies start to say, we're not using non-competes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, if it truly does work out to be a recruiting tool, it hasn't necessarily so far, but if it truly does work out to be a recruiting cool tool, then you'll see other companies follow suit. And yeah. so, you know, it, it depends on the state that you're in. It depends on the company that you're, you know, that you're looking at, you know, overall, um, you know, but I see non-compete sticking around for, for a little bit longer. There's a really big point that I want to make here when you're looking at that contract though. And, and pardon my football analogy here, but uh, <laughs> my, my brain often thinks in, in football terms, but non-competes in my mind, in my legal mind are really the, the 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 running backs of the football team they're the okay. ones that get on the you know that that make get their paper their picture in the paper they're the ones that everybody talks about they're the ones that you know little kids remember the stats and all that stuff but in reality when it comes to lawsuits and when it comes to actually enforcing a a contract it's the non solicitation that really counts okay. and so i do want to point out that the states and the ftc 
And even these companies that we're referring to, they're talking exclusively about non-competes and doing away with non-competes. However, no one, including the state of California, is talking about doing away with non-solicitation agreements. And so even if we do have some some guidance or some rulemaking for by the FTC within five years, Andy, that contract that you're looking at in the future will likely have a non-solicitation. And that non-solicitation still is very prohibitive from being able to go and practice somewhere else. Um, wow. In fact, it can be argued that it's more prohibitive because it doesn't have a, a radius on it. it the, wherever those clients follow you, um, you can run into some issues. So what I'm saying is, is this is not an area of the law that's, that's going to go away anytime soon. So I, my perception of non-solicitation agreements had always been like, okay, you can't, you can't market or promote to clients. If, if I'm, if I'm leaving and, and I go somewhere else, you know, across town, uh, what constitutes solicitation in most cases, Lance? Like if I just go there and start practicing, am I, am I good? Or is, is it, is it a problem if clients follow me over there? Like help me, help me sort of parse that. Yeah, there actually is a big distinction in what you're referring to there. So um, the distinction that we've got to make is the difference in a non-solicitation provision and what the second would be a non-service or a non-care provision. So two different action verbs, mm -hmm. but a lot of times they get wrapped under the provision that is a non-solicitation. Non now, if you look back 10 or 15 years, they were all non-solicitation provisions. But as lawyers in veterinary medicine got more sophisticated, they started drafting these non-service provisions. And so back to the distinction between the two, the verb solicit or to solicit would mean exactly what you said, a targeted marketing, a targeted advertising, and keep in mind on the word targeted. And so if it, the, the traditional word is, is, or the traditional action would be, you know, you're gonna pick up the phone and call someone, or maybe you run into an old client in the grocery store and you say, you know, I'm now at practice. I was at practice ABC. Now I'm at practice XYZ. You should come see me there. Mm -hmm. That is an active solicitation. Sending out a, a list to your, uh, you know, uh, an email list to people that you knew that were clients. Hey, come see me at practice XYZ. That is a targeted marketing. And that is contrasted to if the contract has a non-service provision in it. And the way that those are usually worded is they'll say something like, the veterinarian shall not solicit or render services to a former client. Wow. And so meaning that under a technical reading and also an enforceable reading of that, you could be standing in the exam room waiting for your 3.30 appointment. 3.30 appointment comes into the exam room. Oh, Ms. Jones, I saw you over at ABC Veterinary Hospital. That would be a technical violation of that non-solicitation slash non-service provision. So I'm seeing more and more of these non-service non provisions written in contract contracts, and it really takes a fine reading to understand the difference. But I think you can see how quickly a veterinarian could get wrapped up into a non-service provision. So sure. my mind always goes to, you know, how do we how do we combat this? How do we negotiate this? Well, number one, know the difference between the two. And, and number two, really work to get that non-service provision stricken out of the contract. Keep in mind, Andy, all of these are super negotiable. You just yeah. have to know what you're looking for and, and how to ask for it taken out. 
Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. Usually when uh, you're close to signing a contract and you're excited to go there and the practice is excited to have you, um, that's that's the time to bring up the non-compete and say, hey, oh. this is this is kind of a headache here, but um, it's a whole lot harder to get out of it later on. So, Oh, absolutely. The time to negotiate these are before you get into them. I mean, this is this is a very important point. You know, a lot of people that I work with, they they say, hey, you know, can you unwind this non-compete? I heard they're unenforceable. And it's like, no, we should have talked about this. You should have talked about this before we signed this. Yeah, um, that's that is the time that you have the leverage when you're leaving a job. It's like breaking up. I mean, it's like a divorce, right? Nobody wants to be amicable during yeah. a divorce. Um, and it's really it's really hard to negotiate them then. Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. Lance, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for talking all this through with me. I really appreciate it. I was blown away. The, the non-service agreement, like that, I I had not even considered that. That's uh, that's something that, that I think it's amazing. I can't, I can't believe that that's something that's increasing in uh, in – in its uh in its commonality and so uh anyway so thanks for thanks for bringing up where uh where can people find you uh dripped out that uh if they if they're if they're fascinated by the legal aspects of our profession if they need a little legal advice and they're in practice where can they reach you sure so i hang out over on the uh the vin boards on the regulatory and legal boards and also on the practice management boards i'm one of the consultants on those boards and so if you're a vin member already you can you know you can uh, receive um, you know, we can talk about these things and obviously get, you know, weigh in from other attorneys. Um, and, uh, we answer a lot of questions over on those boards. Um, otherwise I'm also at uh, drip.vet. And so I have a ton of legal continue education over there. Um, classes on negotiation, on contracts, we go into deep dives on all of this stuff. And, and if you are truly, truly interested in it, and unfortunately most of the people that, you know, that I work with have already been burned by non-compete. So, it's not too interesting as a student. It's not too interesting in your first job, but um, you get burned by that paragraph and then it's it's time to start paying attention. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. As always, if you did, the kindest thing you can do is leave me an honest review online wherever you get your podcast. Tell your friends. Share the word. Help other people find the uh, the podcast work that we're doing here. Anyway, that's all I got. Gang, take care of yourselves. Be well. Talk to you later. Bye.